uh, the message. Yes, it is true to say we're doing this series called On This Rock and you know it's like Saturday night late and your phone rings and you think, oh I know who that person is, why they ring me late Saturday night? Only for one reason. Yes, young Shane, that's right. How sad it's a passage and a message on compassion. I'm happy to confess I have many sins. I'm happy to confess that late last night compassion wasn't necessarily the first thought that I had in my heart or spirit. I, I just, you know, as an older man, it's like, what? Delete this off the message, Tony. You know, you, <laughs> right, yeah, sure. You sit back, relax, it's okay. My sympathetic heart just wasn't there. You know, I realised he could have Skyped in from Liverpool Hospital this morning and just we could have watched it, I don't know. Anyhow, yes, our dear brother, uh, we're hoping the injury is not as bad. We, he thought he'd broken his collarbone. Doesn't look like the case, but leg injury, uh, probably a boot, who knows. I think uh, we'll give him a day and a half and he'll be back in full swing. That's about it. Matt Ball will follow it up for me. Um, and it was really, yeah, so I started the message, the prep late, yeah. And then what's worse, because I knew it was, a, it was about compassion, and then later, and I get a call sometimes, maybe once every two years, yeah, on a Saturday night on my mobile from uh, someone outside the community who can access to my phone number. And I answered it and it was a lady in distress. And, uh, and my compassionate heart obviously was running low. I'm happy to confess it up front. And I just like, I can't do anything for you, I can't help you now, we have to come to church tomorrow. I just... And, uh, and of course that disturbed my spirit throughout the night, of course, you know, you're speaking on compassion, if only it was as passionate on judgment or something or, you know, something like that. But, uh, so I really felt I could connect easily with the disciples and their journey of life because sometimes in life, I know you'd never do this, sometimes you just don't necessarily feel generous towards others or compassionate towards others. Uh, and so this passage is a good reminder for me, so I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, help us learn from you. Help us grow in you. And Father, may it be that as a result of this, your word, we continue to be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I uh, thought about the the passage, I, I kept feeling the sense of people were calling out to Jesus. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the kingdom for me. And I'll uh, explain that is what you are doing in this your world is it for me uh, many of you might realize that, that there was a certain view from what we call Israel that they were a special people true but they might have struggled to accept others into the work of God into what God was doing and so this question kept coming to me is is the kingdom for me uh, and you hear that as you hear the reading from this morning and we've got to keep realizing and get this Whenever you speak about the work of God in and through his Son, because Jesus is God in the flesh, you've got to keep understanding that whatever he is doing, it is for everyone, for everyone. No matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, it's a very, very all-encompassing message. And so this issue, is this kingdom for me? And so we get into that straight away. Jesus, Jesus, this desire, have compassion. Have compassion and I'm happy to say up front uh, that... It's not as if every day, every year, every decade, every hundred years, the church itself as an institution can say, look, we've been so generous and compassionate. Uh, Like I shared last night, I failed. There's times, obviously, we've failed badly. But here's Jesus in this context again, as as Joe shared, and the people are calling out, you know, have compassion. You read this in verse 32, which I think is really the pivot of the passage. Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. 
They have already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. I have compassion. That should not surprise you. And one of the big differences is from the other uh, feeding of the 5,000. These guys have been with him for three days. It's a long time. Uh, The compassion of Christ is evident. A feeling of deep sympathy, a feeling of sadness. And if you look at the, the language about this word compassion, it's actually saying that Jesus, and you might have felt this sometimes, felt in his gut the pain of what was around. He really felt it personally. He felt it deeply uh, over the needs of what people see. And I think the other Sunday when we had our combined service and we raised just under 5,000 for that farming family, I think at that time we all felt we, just, we could do something now for this family to bless them. And I think we feel like that and this word compassion is like that. Jesus sees people's needs, he feels their pain and he wants to respond, how? By alleviating their pain by demonstrating compassion, by extending grace and mercy. And maybe for older ones here, there's a passage in Lamentations chapter 3, and I remember the first time I saw this, it was actually uh, in my then-girlfriend Rhonda's uh, uh, book uh, library, and it was a book by Spurgeon. And you might remember this passage, uh, Lamentations 3. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Why? They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The old preacher Spurgeon did a daily devotion on this whole theme. Great is your faithfulness. And many of us might even want to jump up and sing a song. Feel free. They are new every morning. God is faithful. God is compassionate. He's faithful to be just, he's faithful to be kind, he's faithful to be loving, he's faithful to be merciful. Uh, He's faithful to all that he does, he's faithful to his compassion. And if God himself is a God of compassion, then his representative, the person who is God in the flesh, Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us, is also compassionate. And you can check out other passages, 2 Kings 13, 2 Chronicles 36, demonstrating the compassion of God to people. And what that means is God is saying in that point, I'm withholding my judgment and extending compassion in its place. Uh, And I think that's a wow. In other words, if I strike you, it feels like I'm going to strike myself, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, And so God does this for his people. Romans 9, verse 15 I have compassion on whom I have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And so it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, God in the flesh, is a compassionate God. And we've already seen that in Matthew 14, Matthew 9. Some of you might remember Matthew 14. Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude and was moved by compassion. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus looked in the multitude and saw they were like sheep, without a shepherd. So this is the journey through Matthew's Gospel, even though we might know what's going to happen to Jesus, there's this profoundness that's coming up. And so the people understand that, and so I feel they call out, Jesus, Jesus, heal me, heal me. Uh, And then we see this great reality that happens. And don't forget in the context, there's mounting pressure on Jesus, mounting rejection on who he is, on what he stands for, It's coming from, we read about Herod the other week. Herod's not exactly a Jesus fan. 
the religious leaders aren't Jesus, fans, the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the Jews are struggling to understand. You mean, who's this kingdom for more than us? Uh, and there's all these things. There's others who want Jesus to do miracles for them, fairly superficial. And yet there's this whole other group of people who want to be healed. And he's moved by it. And what's fascinating, and, and Joe alluded to it, he actually finds most acceptance amongst strangers. Not his own people. Amongst strangers. Uh, we saw that last week when Shane spoke about the Canaanite woman. So Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others and laid them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they praised the God of Israel. And I don't want to just run too quickly beyond that praise God of Israel point because the other night some of our young adults led a praise night and uh, don't forget Matthew's Gospel, you can see it in Matthew 4, 5 and 6. Uh, when you do good works, of course, you aren't to get the glory. The glory is to go to someone else. Guess who that is? To our Heavenly Father. And so it shouldn't surprise you that as all this is going on and the Gentiles are seeing this, that they stop and they're amazed. And what do they do? They praise God. They'd heard about this God. And they praise him. And so I'm just, Jesus' intention is always to reach the world. He ministered uniquely through the twelve. He ministered uniquely through Israel. He ministered and healed as evidence of the kingdom growing. Uh, and again, we can go way back to uh, Matthew 4 to see that. And so it's just, amazing, you know, the crowds that are there, I, I just think it would be amazing to be in that space of a crowd and seeing person after person wanting to go up to Jesus. You know, he does this day one, what happens on the second day? He gets up again and does it again and on the third day, what does he do? He gets up and does it. And being part of a crowd, I was part of a crowd yesterday morning, there it is, uh, there's a crowd. And I'm just thinking, if all these people just one at a time went forward to get healed, uh, it would be an amazing scene as others watched and witnessed what God was doing. Uh, not that I witnessed what God was doing yesterday because it was that concert I was at. Um, just so you know. And of course, please understand, I was there with my uh, grandchildren. It would be a bit weird if Rhonda and I went there on our own. That would look a bit odd in today's culture, wouldn't it? Yeah, don't respond. It would just look a bit weird. Um, very energetic wiggles, yes. Uh, I'll get to later on, we'll get someone here to do hot potato, hot potato. Just think for those who, meet, who know what that means. Does anyone know what that means? Come on, put your hands up. You love the wiggles. Heaven help grandparents, but that's another journey. So as we hear about the crowd, it's an amazing moment. And being in any crowd, it's amazing. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking. So it's like, so, so if I didn't have an arm, I'm getting an arm. If I didn't have a finger, I'm getting a finger. If I've got cancer, I'm getting healed. If I don't have a leg, if I'd fallen off a bike and had an accident and went forward, I'd get healed. All that is happening. Jesus is doing this work. And I don't have time to go into the principle of healing at the moment on this sermon today. But it touches us deeply. Because many of us have seen loved ones uh, come and go. And on Friday, Rhonda and I had a chance to see an old friend, Bruce Gibson, who is the owner of the Wollongong Surf Leisure Resort Centre, who's got about a week to go. 
And to see Bruce, we had to walk past the room where my sister-in-law, Anne, had only passed away a year and a half ago. And I'd say, oh, how come you just, can't you just come back, put your hand on them, get rid of the cancer, out of the bowels and just, ta-da. And so it helps me understand that God, it actually is for a purpose back then. It is for a purpose of what your kingdom is doing back then. And while I might long for loved ones to be healed instantly today and I pray for people and pray that is so, I also accept that there's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. I, my hope is locked in with that better day, that revelation day, no more pain, no more crying. And I hold firmly to that. As hard and as sad as it is as you feel in your gut when you walk past rooms, when you, when you had that last moment of ministering to someone you love, and you think, wow, if only... I have no, by the way, I have no power in these hands to heal someone. And so you have to leave them in God. And day after day, Jesus is just in this space again and again and again. And I think the amazing thing is, and why I think we read that in verse 31, and they, were, they praised God of Israel, they were truly stunned. I think part of the Jewish community, they're sceptical and I know you think that probably sounds like the Australian culture which is probably true. I think the Jewish community probably might have struggled a little bit with pride, spiritual pride and I don't think they responded as was expected. Outsiders having tasted the amazing love of God respond in the only way I guess is they know possible. Wow. And I think when you stand back and you know this in your own spirit, I know this in my own spirit, when I'm a little bit cynical about something or sceptical, it absolutely prohibits my own spirit giving thanks to God. Uh, Maybe you're different to me in that way, but it's like, Father, wow. Um, And maybe, again, we've said it in the last few weeks, when you're caught up with ceremony and tradition, and you're battling with that, thinking, why have they changed that? You're still a bit reluctant to jump in and just praise God. And there's a blindness that comes with that in our spirits. And so I think we can understand more and more the astonishment of the Gentiles. Wow, God, look what you've done. He's done all things well. It is for everybody. The Great Commission... God's love for everybody. And again, day in, day out, the crowd never leaves. So all that happens and then you get this, this other scene where it, it, Jesus, Jesus, like, help me, help us. Don't leave us in this situation. Uh, help us to the next stage. Because uh, he doesn't stop. And maybe disciples, you read this, Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry. They may collapse on the way. That's great concern. Oh, the disciples, like Ian, his disciples answered, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Oh, I don't want to say the disciples are blockheads or anything like that. Um, I think maybe they're thinking, can you remember how many days Jesus was in the desert? Could just, I'll give you a clue. It was more between 39 and 41, if that's helpful. And maybe they're thinking, well, you went that long. It's only three days. What's the, 
Send them away. What's the problem? They're not going to die from starvation. It's only three days. They've all been healed anyhow. And no, no, no. Um, And maybe they're thinking, wow, you don't get the compassion of God. You don't still get the compassion of God, the compassion for their physical needs, their compassion for their spiritual needs, their compassion for their family needs, all encompassing compassion. It's a deep insight, isn't it, into who God is. Uh, And if you think about what Christ is doing, building his church, and and I think about the next decade, and you need to think about the witness of the church in the world in the next decade, and I've said it before and I'll say it again so I can be a broken record, compassion must be at the heart of all that we do and say in every area of life. We saw that the other week. Uh, with, as I said, uh, helping a farming family. We've seen that through Manor. This church, and I commend you for it. So don't ever hear me say we're not compassionate. We do a great work in that way and we always have to commend each other to go further. And, uh, and I don't think uh, my brother Simon will mind. I can still remember when we had a service, uh, as Sharon would know, up in Sydney. It feels like a lifetime ago, Sharon, probably 10 years ago. How many? 11 years ago and many of us went up there when uh, our brother had had a, an accident and uh, we filled up a place up there and prayed and gave thanks to God and many people have continued to be in that space for uh, uh, Simon and Sharon. We, we, we do that for each other and we have to continue to do that for each other and we have to stretch ourselves, keep it a secret, unlike Ian last night, just, just in case you're wondering, to others who are outside, even when you don't feel like it even when you don't feel like it. This, you know, and and maybe the disciples are thinking, Lord, here we go again, we've got nothing to do, we've got nothing to give them. Can't, look, we remember what you did last time, can't you just do it again and sort of just leave us out of this picture? But he's demonstrating, he's modelling. You know, it's like maybe they're saying, Lord, if you're dependent on us, if we have to do this, we can't. You do it and be done. It doesn't work like that. We are called to show love. You're called, we're called even at the, Every, end of every single service to extend ourselves mm-hmm. to others around us. That's right. To people we don't know. Absolutely. We're called to extend ourselves at the end of every single 10 o'clock service to someone we've never met, never said hi to, to make them feel welcome, just in case there's someone sitting here. I only need one person to sit in this church this morning to say, you know, I went to a church, I've been to your church. And at the end of the service, you wouldn't believe it. You ready to say it with me? No one spoke to me. <gasps> Surely that would never happen in church life when they're compassionate, would it? No, no, it's not humanly possible. You and I know because of the sinner I am and the sinners you are, it happens every single Sunday after every single service. We need to understand what the model is. Out, Guys, you've got to stretch yourself out there. Let's keep doing that. Uh, let's be aware of that. The crowd are fed. The disciples are learning still. And so what does Jesus do in this spot? He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And if you want to check out the differences between the last feeding of the 5,000 and this feeding, there's actually many, many differences. And ground is one. In the feeding of the 5,000, they sat on grass. They're in an isolated place, a desert place. The numbers are different. Twelve basket loaves, seven basket loaves. Uh, So it's very different. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish and when he had given thanks, given thanks, very common element. 
In fact, some commentators will say that at the end of a miracle, Jesus often stops and feeds people, has a meal with them. He broke them and gave to the disciples and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children and after Jesus sent the crowd away and there's another company, he got into a boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. I have no idea how tired Jesus must have been for those who have been going through Matthew 14 and 15. Exhausted, beyond exhausted. And I can analyse it by saying, well, he's the son of God, that's okay. He probably doesn't really, really get tired like I do. I agree. He does. And he continues to give and give and yet he feeds and feeds others. Uh, And he does it in a powerful way. So the Lord provides for the crowd. He goes into a boat and moves on. So uh, as we think about that, let me ask you some questions. Jesus, Jesus, where do we go to from here with such a passage? What do we do with it? People call out to you, heal me, help me. People wonder, are they welcomed? Are they part of this big world of God's kingdom? And there's some lessons I think we can pick up. Here are a couple of lessons. Uh, firstly, we see the divine, divine power of Christ. Never, under, never just take that for granted. Never just think, I've heard it before, I'll hear it again. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is God in the flesh and does an amazing work of healing back then for us to understand what he's doing. Um, a second, an amazing thing about it is, is the change in people's lives that we see and how powerful it is. Uh, you know, people being healed, not being able to speak, can now speak, not being able to see, can now see. All those things are profound. Disease, all cured. Uh, and again, the third lesson, the goal of ministry, the goal of what we do, James and the band will do it soon enough, is to give praise to God and to worship God. Now we, I don't know, we probably do it as well as anyone else, I think. But to stop and to give thanks to God for what he's doing. And you do it in your own way, good on you. But make sure we do it. Make sure we worship the one. Make sure we give praise to God. Make sure we shout out and glorify God to all that he's doing. So I think there's a smorgasbord of lessons that are just coming up here. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your support. Thank you. And this lesson, the fifth lesson, God gives and he gives and he gives. Given it shall be given to you. Be generous. And finally, be aware of the spiritual investment that it's involved. The disciples could never give and not get back. They kept realising that to be generous is a key aspect of who they are. To serve. And hopefully they'd sing it out loud too and not be distracted. And to praise God. And I think of that with the gift day projects coming up. Let me put a plug in for that because that's a model of our investment. Band, you can come out now, it's okay. Don't be anxious. I'll keep talking or not. The Mark Gossel's book's out there. You can see them as you go out to give that face-to-face with people in our community who need to hear the word of God. I've said before, I'm old enough to remember the wonderful bicentenary of 1988. Some of you weren't born then. Many, many churches went out and what they did, we gave Bibles to the community. 
because we believe in the power of the word of God. I think of interns coming up. We need to raise more workers. I look at those young boys and girls at the Wiggles yesterday. And I think, so who's going to make sure they're standing in the breach for them so at the age of three they'll hear about the good news of Jesus when they get to primary school through scripture? Or five or ten or the youth leaders of the future or the preachers and teachers and worship leaders in that Wiggles group who've been grown up on hot potato, hot potato and wiggle, wiggle. Imagine what sort of awesome worship leaders they would be. We need to invest in our future, to be generous. Anything Rhonda and I give, we never owned it in the first place. And that's a great lesson even from here, be generous. You know those great words from 2 Corinthians, if you sow sparingly, guess what? You will reap sparingly. And if you sow generously, guess what? You will reap generously. The change is there. So with all these things, Jesus wants to use us at any point in time to not miss opportunities that are presented even at the 11th hour when phones ring and you think, do I answer it or not? May it be that we answer and may it be the lesson that I've even learned late last night. Show compassion no matter when or where. Stretch yourself because God is the God of resources He's the one who gives us all things and may it be that we demonstrate that love to all those around us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can indeed model a lesson to others. Father, may it be that in the coming years that this church and every church demonstrates and shows love one for another as we seek to honour and glorify you. In Jesus' name, Amen.